Hello, Grace Point. Glad that you are with us uh, this morning in the room or watching online. And I just keep continually asking or thanking God for what he's doing in and through Grace Point uh, with uh, Jenna and a lot of our students, what's going on Sunday nights. And, and then this morning coming to church and there's all, the lower parking lot filled with vehicles. A whole bunch of men are coming early uh, for like Bible study, discipleship. And then Friday nights, uh, night of worship, I'm just, I'm just everywhere we turn, and now late, ladies' Bible studies is exploding, life groups. Can we just thank God for what he's doing in and through Grace Point Church? So I'll just uh, ne never take for granted the hand of God and the blessings of God. Well, last week we began our new, uh, really the launch in our, our ministry year, our, our new uh, series called Timeless truths. We're going to do a study in the book of Genesis. And we're really looking at not, only, not just the stories, but the, the nature of God, the heart of God, the redemptive plan of God to restore things back to his original design. And, and we talked about last week to start us off as the wow and wonder of the creation of God that displays the nature of God. And it was, it was fantastic. It was so much fun. And we finished with how great thou art. And people were coming up to me after the services crying, going, why did you make me cry today as we finished with how great thou art? I said, I was tearing up too. Because when we understand the wow and wonder of God, it just moves you. If it doesn't, uh, um, we, we might, you might need to see someone. Um, but anyways, it, that was last week. That beauty was created out of darkness. Today we're going to turn, as, this, as the text turns, it's going to be darkness destroys beauty. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Now, in Isaiah 14, we are told the original name of Satan. That is Lucifer. Day star, that was, that's what it means, Lucifer. And star gives light, and a metaphor all through Scripture is that light represents truth. And Satan uh, is, is, is such a conniving creature who, who, who t takes what God has and twists it all around, and he wants people to believe him and, and a lot of lies. But we find in 2 Corinthians a, a really good description of Satan. It says this, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Okay, light in scripture means truth. And he masquerades. Ever heard of a masquerade ball? That's where they wear a mask. That's where they kind of, you know, change who they really are and put on a different uh, persona, but that's not who they really are. That is Satan himself. He masquerades as an angel of light or an angel of truth, which is false, which is false. Again, everything God creates, Satan twists. Here's a number of things that Satan has always twisted. He has twisted order into chaos. He has twisted truths into lies. He has twisted beauty into to ashes and to twist his light into darkness. That is the nature of Satan. He's very opposite, opposite of God. And Satan's first demonstration of his masquerade show starts early in the Genesis account. Would you begin uh, with me in chapter 2 to set the premise? Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, 
you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, it's describing Satan, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put with me, here with me. Men, don't you ever, ever say that, okay? <laughs> don't ever say that. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate, and I ate. Chapter 3 is the tipping point of human history, all human history. In chapters 1 and 2, we see perfection, we see purity, uh, we see goodness. And then chapter 3, everything changed when sin came, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and we went from a sinless world to a sin-filled world. From good and wholesome impurity to now perversion and twistedness because of sin. Everything changed in chapter 3. Now the first description we are given in scripture about Satan is found in chapter 3 verse 1. Referred to him as he was more crafty. See he was slick. All right, he had these, he was a used car salesman. No offense if you're a used car salesman. The old, the way, all the way they used to do that. He had, he was just crafty. He was slick. Now, Satan is the epitome of evil and darkness. But he doesn't want to be portrayed as evil and dark. See, he wants to orchestrate his own press clippings. Now, there's a church in Detroit, Michigan, the Church of Satan, that has a statue of Satan in their church. But Satan doesn't really kind of go for this image. It's not good for his, you know, popularity. 
And then the, the picture of evil that I have is the emperor in Star Wars, okay? Now, in his essence, all right, in his very nature, Satan is these things. He is twisted, he is evil, he is conniving, he, he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, steal and destroy. But he doesn't want to market himself like this. When he comes to tempt you and I, he doesn't come like this or we'll run the other way. A better portrayal of how Satan is crafty, how he sets us up and be as masquerading as an angel of light is actually closer to a TV series that has run its course called Lucifer. Lucifer. See, Lucifer is handsome. He's friendly. He's humorous. He's a great personality. In fact, his character name is Lucifer Morningstar. Jesus referred to himself as the bright morning star in Revelation 22. That's Satan, though, taking what God has and twist it to his advantage. See, this is the perception that he wants. So then when he, he presents us with something that sounds so true, it sounds so good, and everybody believes this and everybody's this, we get suckered in. Why? Because he's crafty. He's slick. That's the nature of Satan. So what he does, right off the bat, Satan twists the truth of God's word. He's always attacking God's word. He always takes it and twists it and turns it just so slightly so that we are deceived. So he says to Eve, did God really say you can't eat of any tree? And she goes, no, 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 he didn't say that. We can eat of all the trees, but there's one tree we can't eat of. Because if we, if we do, we eat of that, we will die. And he says, you surely won't die. Come on. You're not going to die? And he's reeling her in. Why? Because he's crafty. He is seeking to destroy her and everything good. Now there's verse 5. I want, I want to read verse 5. He, says, For God, he said this. For God knows that when you eat of it, of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, class, is this a true statement or a false statement? Some of you are like, I'm not answering in class. <laughs> this is actually true. This is actually true, because a little bit later in verse 22, this is what God says. Verse 22. The Lord God said... The man has now become like one of us. And here's the key, knowing good and evil. He didn't say now, now he's God like us. No, no, no. He's like us that he knows good and evil. All Adam and Eve had ever experienced was good. Everything that God created was good and very good. All, all they knew, all they tasted, all they experienced was good. And now, because they sinned, now they started to know evil. And that is sick. That is cruel. Because one of the beauties that God created, we're talking about the beauty of God and his creation. One of the beauties that God created is this thing called innocence. And it is absolutely cruel when innocence is stolen from little children. When I see what's happening, and even in kindergarten, what, what is being taught in our culture, that is absolutely cruel. 
cruel to say, oh, we're going to steal their innocence because we want them to know this information that's evil and dark. It's cruel. It was cruel uh, for, for, for Satan to say, oh, you know, all they know is, is good. I want them now to see evil. And they fell for it. They fell for it. You and I have seen evil. Some of you have tasted evil, experienced evil at some pretty bad levels. And that all goes to the father of lies who wants you and I to taste and experience and be crushed by evil. It all started by twisting the truth of God's word. Here's the timeless truth. Uh, for the, uh, today. Ever since Satan's darkness destroyed beauty, God has pursued mankind with relentless love, redemption, and restoration. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time at the beginning because you and I have experienced a darkness destroying beauty. And all of our relationships, all our human body and, and the earth, everything has been tainted and destroyed by sin. But that, that darkness was dis destroyed beauty. But from that moment, when Adam and Eve sinned, and they began to experience the good and the evil, God has pursued all of mankind with relentless love, relentless redemption. Redemption involves a price, and God is willing to pay for that price because he wants us to have restoration with him. And that's what we're going to see today. And as the story unfolds and all these different stories in the, in the book of Genesis, you're going to see this playing out. Now, before we get there, though, we've got to understand fully what sin produces. It produces a number of things. When I sin, you sin. Sin produces shame and guilt. It's, we're wired to feel that, that when we cross God's boundary lines and we just go off on our own and we sin, we feel shame and guilt. And in this text, they found themselves, all of a sudden they're naked, so what do they do? They hid. Shame and guilt. Got to hide from God. See, Satan plays on that. And so when you and I fall, you and I sin, you and I, you, we do things or go on websites that we shouldn't go, and, and we hang out, and we, we, we violate God's you know, standards, we feel shame and guilt. Satan uses that to his advantage, and that's why it's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to God's house. I don't think I'm going to read God's word because, man, I did this. I was so stupid. I can't believe I did that. And if you buy that lie, he's reeling you in to go further away from God. Instead of, I have fallen, I am, I'm sin, I'm so stupid, my sin makes me so stupid, I'm going to run toward God, sin, I mean, uh, shame and guilt causes us to move farther away from God, and then we're more open to committing more sin and experience more shame and guilt. Another thing that sin produces is separation. See, right here, this is the definition of death. So Adam and Eve didn't die physically when they ate, you know, ate from that fruit. They didn't drop on the, on the ground dead. No, but they started dying. They were separated from purity. All they knew was purity with God. Their relationship with God, there was separation. That's why they hid. And it's been, there's a separation ever since because of our sin. Uh, trust was, was separated. They eventually physically were separated from the Garden of Eden. See, sin produces separation. In relationships and all, all sorts of things. Another, another thing that sin produced is a need for a, cover, for a covering. Need for a covering. They, they sinned, they, they were exposed, they realized that they were naked for the first time, and they 
settled for a cheap substitute, fig leaves. Why? Because they just knew, I have to be covered. And whenever human beings try to cover our own sin, we choose cheap substitutes. Like, I'm okay if, if I'm a good person. I'm okay if I, if I attend church, if I, if I do good works. Those are all good things, but they're not a covering for our sin. Sin produces a need for covering, and then obviously consequences. Sin always produces consequences. So let's pick up on that in verse 14. Here's the consequences. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, on all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat uh, the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since it, you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Verse 23. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That's the other main tree in the Garden of Eden. Now, let's, let's zero in back to the consequences sin caused for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Um, if you are a, a woman who has given birth, if you ever were in the hospital and in massive pain, and you turned to your husband and blamed him, you should have actually directed it toward Eve. All right? Pain in childbirth, consequence. Also in this text, we find that one of the results of sin is conflict in marriage. It says that to Eve, God says, your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. That first part, your desire will be for your husband. That is not, God's going to put something inside of you and go, hey, baby. Hey. You know, he's like, huh? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's, made, he's talking about there is going to be a battle for who is in control, who gets their way. And your desire is to be over him and his desire is to be over you. Conflict in a marriage. That has been a consequence ever since. It goes back to sin. Work will, will, will be harder, be more frustrating. And then they will physically removed from the garden, and then they physically returned to dust. They died physically. All because they sinned. Now, ever since Satan's darkness destroyed beauty, God has pursued mankind with relentless love, redemption, and restoration. Now, let me walk you through how this shows up from day one. 
from day one of sin, what did God do? He came toward them. See, God knew what they did. God could have beamed them up into his presence. What are you doing? What'd you do? No, it says, in the cool of the day, he walked in the garden toward them. That little picture, that little phrase is indicated of the heart of God, the nature of God. In our sinful state, God comes towards us. He pursues us. The second thing we see here is that God called to them. Where are you? Now, God never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. He knew where they were. He knew exactly what tree they were hiding behind and shaking in fear. Like, oh, my goodness, here comes God. Where are you? See, God calls out to them. He came to them, and God still comes to people. He pursues us, and he calls out to them. Where are you? See, when, when we are not in a relationship with God, God pursues us, and he calls to us. And he uses people, he uses circumstances, he uses uh, churches in your past, and God has been relentlessly pursuing you because he loves you. He has been pursuing you because he has a redemptive um, story. He wants a part of your story. He was willing to pay the price to restore the relationship. God comes to us and calls us. And we, when we walk away from God, God still comes after us. And he says, where are you? Where are you? I know where you are. I know you're running from me. Why does God pursue us? Because he loves us. He has redemption for us. And he desires restoration. Now, after the consequences were laid out, and that's describing the nature of a holy God. God can't say, here's the, here's the requirements. You know, if you disobey, this is the result. And if God would have taken the consequences away, he's not a holy God. So he displayed that first. But then, in that very moment, after consequences, what we see is God's unending grace being birthed to Adam and Eve, starting with a redemptive promise. I mean, he's talking about the consequences. And because you sin, this is going to happen. And this is going to hurt. And this is going to hurt. And this is going to hurt. And in that context is verse 15. He's talking to Satan. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. What does enmity mean? Meaning constant opposition and hostility. That God says there's going to be constant opposition and hostility between your seed, Satan, meaning all the demons following after you, and all the seed, the, the, the children of Eve, constant opposition. And then here's the promise. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So you can read that and go, what, what's there? Oh, there's a lot here. There's a picture being painted. That, what's the he? Well, it's from the seed of Eve is going to be a redeemer. This is the first promise of a savior, a Messiah. And he says to Satan, oh yeah, you're going to strike his heel. You know what that was? The cross. Satan could have think, man, I got this. The son of God, the Messiah, I'm going to kill him. Use this and that and that to, to kill him. And the heel of the Messiah, right, was stricken. 
But the resurrection is when he crushed the head of Satan. When he crushed the head of Satan, like death cannot hold me. Death's not going to keep me in the grave. I am, I'm, I'm God. I've, I promised I would resurrect and here I am. Now this ultimately will be fulfilled in uh, Revelation 20 where God says finally, finally, God I'm waiting for this day. He's going to take Satan, throw him into the everlasting lake of fire and he will never, ever, ever rise again. And it's all because of Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the redemptive promise, a Redeemer's coming. Redemption always caught, is, is involving a price. And the price of redemption was the blood of Jesus on the cross. Which sets us up to the second beautiful picture given here is the gift of atonement. The gift of atonement. We, we talked about this. Atonement means covering. It means spiritually it's a sin covering. Again, they chose a cheap substitute, fig leaves. God had a much better plan, and it is an absolutely beautiful picture of atonement. In verse 21, this is what it says, that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them, covered them. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Yeah, skin. That's an animal skin, meaning an innocent animal had to pay the price for their sin. Now, we are not told in Scripture, in Genesis, what that animal is. But I have a pretty good guess. As I look at Scripture, we see a pattern of God talking about a covering, a sin covering. We see that um, it, for the Passover to take place. You know, we talk about the, the Lord's Supper. That was during Passover. That meant, goes all the way back to the Egyptians, a time of Egyptians where Israel was in bondage. And God said, what you, what you need to do, because I'm coming to release you and to free you from bondage, you need every family that needs to go into their house and you take an innocent lamb and take its blood and put it on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will not bring judgment. That was a lamb. The Old Testament sacrificial system for, for this next year. Please, God, forgive us of my sins. For, for all the sins I committed this past year. Every single year. They had to, as a nation, they had to get an innocent lamb. To be the sacrificial land for a sin covering atonement for the, for the previous year. And then we see in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God. That his blood covered the sin of mankind. So I am, think I'm on solid ground that the most likely animal that the blood was shed was a lamb in the Garden of Eden to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. Beautiful, beautiful picture. You see, we can look at chapter 3 and it's judgment and they sinned and there's consequences. Right. And on that day, on that tipping point of all human history, all right, ever since Satan's darkness destroyed the beauty of all that God created, and it's been a battle ever since. But from that very moment, we see God pursuing mankind. With relentless love, redemptive price he's willing to pay so that there can be restoration. And as we walk through the, all these stories of Genesis, you're going to see God's 
redemptive story taking place because that's his nature. Is he a holy God? Absolutely. Is he a loving, pursuing God? Yes. Some of you guys have been pursuing your whole life. And you keep running from him and you keep ignoring him. And guess what? He's still on your tail because he loves you. He says, I have, I sent my son to be your redeemer. I, I want restoration between you and I. Romans 5, it says, when we trust in Jesus, we now finally have peace with God. Have you trusted Christ? If you're a follower of Jesus who stopped following because of your sin, you're like, I'm horrible, I did this. Why would God ever forgive me? He does. If we call out to God and confess our sins, Scripture says he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God is amazing. Is he holy? Yes. But he's a loving God who pursues you. To redeem you, to restore you to himself. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you understand, like, uh, you know what? God has been pursuing me. And God has been bringing people in my life and inviting me to, to a church that teaches about Jesus. And, and, and God's been using different things to draw you to him. Maybe today is your day. To with open arms and faith say, Jesus, I today am going to accept you as my redeemer who atoned for my sin. If that is your desire with no one looking around, just pray a simple prayer like this between your heart and God. Say, God, I'm a sinner. You know that and I know that. And my sin has separated me from you. But today by faith, I trust in Jesus, the Lamb of God, who died on the cross to atone for my sins. And by faith, I trust him as my Savior, that he died and rose again for me. Today, I say yes to Jesus, to be my Savior. If you just prayed that prayer with no one looking around, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, asking Jesus to be your Savior because he atoned for your sins. Could I see your hand? Put your hand up nice and high so I can say, yes, sir. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, all the way in the back. Yes, young lady. Yes, teenager. Amen. Praise God. God, we thank you for being a God who pursues us in our stubbornness and our selfishness and our sinfulness. You just keep pursuing us because you want us to be restored to you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our redeemer, the atoner of our sins. Thank you for this pictures that you paint in Scripture to describe who you are to us. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.